Hey, welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Today, we're gonna be talking to Kim Smith. She's the founder and CEO of Health Evolve Technologies, and she's based here in Columbia, South Carolina. We cover a wide range of topics, mainly centered on women's health issues and the technologies that she's developing to help some of the health disparities and, and lack of equity that we find, unfortunately, in healthcare here in the United States. I learned a ton in this episode, and maybe more so than a lot of episodes that we've done, I was hearing things that I've never heard before. I think you're going to hear this too, and I hope you learned something. Thanks for listening. Well, Kim, thank you for joining us today. Of course, we're talking to you. You're Kim Smith, and you're the CEO and founder of Health Evolve Technologies. Yes. And you're based here in Columbia. Is that correct? I, I am. Okay. Right here in Columbia. Well, thanks for sitting down with us on Footnotes. Um, I, I heard you pitch your company um, earlier this summer, and I, I was just very intrigued, not only by what you're doing as a company, but but sort of in, in terms of... Um, how you got started and kind of the, the why you got started. And so maybe let's, uh, for the for the listeners, let's just begin at the beginning. I mean, what what is Health Evolve Technologies trying to do for people out in the marketplace? Wonderful, uh, wonderful question. You know, Health Evolve, we are a software company that's really committed to closing the gap on health disparities. And I'm especially interested in women's health, mm -hmm. starting in pregnancy and going to menopause. There are so many disparities. And mm -hmm. um, the reason I entered into healthcare 18 years ago was because of my my passion for public health and, and data science. I happened to go to the provider side and work in management and, and business development for many years. Mm -hmm. um, but due to my own lived experience, um, having survived a hypertensive disorder of pregnancy, 12 years ago and advocating for 11 years, this has been just a part of my life story. Mm -hmm. And I will say my purpose of really creating a way to use technology to address a very growing problem that we're having really globally, which is addressing the health disparity gap. So when you say health disparity gap, I mean, what 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 does that mean? Right. Well, one one key stat, one key focus area that we talk a lot about with pregnancy is, uh, I know the Gates Foundation stated that every oh, 800 times a day, a woman dies from pregnancy. There's a global stat that says every wow. seven seconds. And a lot of that um, is linked to hypertension. Um, in fact, um, a significant percentage, about 80% happens after you deliver the baby. And for um, for BIPOC communities, so Black, Brown, women, Asian, you know, those communities, they're definitely more likely to have a, a fatal uh, condition um, and have a, a loss of a mom versus other other populations, other demographics. So there are, there are definitely disparities across different populations. And um, in truth, 20% of that can be addressed in the room with the doctor. There's this 80% that really is addressed outside of the walls of the clinic. So when I think about disparities, I think about creating a way to really understand the health equity gaps of each individual patient or health consumer and going after that 80%. How can we use data science, use um, technology to help close the gap and provide a view into providers? to provide a more personalized care plan. So, so it's, that's really important to understand because if we if we aren't disruptive with our existing care delivery model, we're not going to address the disparity issue. Um, so if you think about it, for 18 years, of course, I've been growing the machine. <laughs> 
the growing the business of, of corporate medicine. And but for 11 years, I was advocating with this billhorn of um, of improving health disparities for moms, you know, working, serving um, from a volunteer perspective with the Preeclampsia Foundation on their board then as board chair, working with the Office of Women's Health. So one side of me, I'm growing um, the existing health ecosystem on the provider side, being hospitals and medical groups. And the other side of me, I'm um, advocating for disparities. And I got to a point where I realized, okay, these aren't going to connect unless there's some disruption. Mm -hmm. You know, our existing health ecosystem is not um, designed to really address the health disparity gap how it's designed today. You have to do something a bit disruptive to help bridge the gap and connect the dots, so to speak. So, you know, you talk about worldwide. I mean, that statistic, I think I think I heard you say that every seven seconds, a, a woman loses her life due to um, either delivering a child or, or being, being pregnant. Um, that is, I'm still trying to wrap my, yeah. my brain around yeah. that. And I think about, you know, in, in my own life, um, what that could mean, uh, but focusing back, if we if we sharpen the focus a little bit to just the United States, I mean, do those things happen in the United States? I mean, it, to me, oh, it's yeah. easy to imagine somewhere else that mm-hmm. is the case, but here is that. Oh yes, okay. oh yeah. So about maybe twelve years ago, well, closer to eleven years ago, after my my loss, um, because of course I survived Help Syndrome. We lost our daughter Lauren Kelly. Mm-hmm. In the process, um, and about six months after that loss, I began really trying to get involved to to, to help other people understand the the stats right mm-hmm. around help syndrome and preeclampsia and, and other hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. And I was introduced to Nina Martin, who's a reporter with ProPublica. Uh, she uh, was writing a story on disparities across the U.S. And I was actually one of the individuals that she interviewed to share about my experience and our loss. Uh, Her publication in ProPublica went on to really um, help to push the USA Today article that many people reference even today around disparities. And at that time, they did know that for at least for Black women, we're three to four more times likely to die from a, uh, a pregnancy, and it doesn't matter your income status, it does not matter wow. your educational background, um, and trying to grab, you know, just get our arms around that to say, okay, man, this is this is insane. How, how do you even address this um, in our current care delivery model? So the stats are definitely there uh, for sure um, in the U.S., but the the frustrating point that I had last year was realizing for 11 years I've been advocating and the stats are worse. So I'm, I was very unimpressed <laughs> by the fact that we didn't make drastic improvements with clinical outcomes. Policy is great, advocating is great, but until you are able to improve clinical outcomes for, for moms and ultimately for their families, you really haven't addressed the issue. So it's, it's very real in the U.S. Um, it's also very real in the U.K in other areas um, of the world um, for um, for black and black, I say black and brown women, but because it's not just um, African Americans, um, but it definitely um, is significantly a, a disparity for for black women. So, can you talk about what some of those disparities might look like, even in a, in a kind of a first world setting? Because again, mm-hmm. I think it's easy for our imaginations to yeah. think about you know places with less resources, with just kind of governments that are not really there to 
even try to help people, so to speak. But I mean, when you talk about the UK and the United States, mm -hmm. that still just seems very difficult to imagine. So right. can you can you help us understand a little more about what some of that could actually look like? Right. And and one really straightforward example, if we think about it, um, is uh, obesity and mm -hmm. and our overall health. Um, I'm what I'm learning too on our journey is um, how you go into pregnancy makes a big difference. Also, women are getting pregnant later in life than they were. So there are more and more women getting pregnant, having their first child in their 30s and 40s. And we're seeing that globally, but definitely in the U.S. Um, but also there is a huge focus on other um, uh, other aspects that are not clinical, but impact the clinical. And it has to do with the culture of the organizations and the trust between the the patient and the provider and not feeling heard mm -hmm. and um, not really having the response to challenges or concerns in your body, um, you know, that response, response being met with a specific clinical solution, but kind of Assuming okay, you you can handle a little extra pain. So um, there are, there is a combination of, of of issues. There's also a, a huge focus on okay biomarkers and understanding are there some aspects um, genetically that drive outcomes within certain demographics and others. So it's not one specific thing to be honest. It's a combination of um, you know course, what you have access to, to, to make good, healthy decisions from healthy eating to how you take care of your body, to engaging as a, a partner in your care with your physician, um, of course, feeling heard, having access to great care in the U.S. A good majority of people go back to work after two weeks of, of delivery. Yes. Two weeks? Two weeks, exactly. I didn't have to do that. But, uh, you know, that's not a problem in the UK because they take care of maternal leave and paternal leave. So, there's so there are a lot of dynamics that we see in the U.S. that don't position us well to take care of the mom while she takes care of the baby. Um, and, you know, these are things that I listed that, uh, for the most part, um, the physician can't solve independently. And there is an assumption that... The physician or the hospital is is the the entity to solve this problem, but this is a public health crisis, hmm. so it requires um, a public health view, view on on how to solve the issue using technology, using some some innovation for sure. Well, I feel like we could do like a, a forty six <laughs> part series <laughs> on this to kind of dive into some of these issues yeah. because. Um, you know, even I'm learning as, as as I'm listening here that that there are problems that I think that go largely unseen. They do by a very large amount of people. Yes, and I know those are kind of vague, um, subjective measurements there, but uh, but I think that it's astonishing to me that in this day and time, with the access that we do have to information and the connectedness that we have, that there are still so many things that we are unaware of. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what you know. You're you're beginning to to highlight here is just that 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 um, there's even a problem with awareness. Right. We haven't even gotten to solutions. It's, right. It's sort of like you know, are you aware or did you know? Um, I think the next natural question though that people ask is is why does it why does it matter? Right. You know, if, in other words, if you're not being affected by those things, right. 
And, and in truth, just in the state of South Carolina, when I first came here for grad school at the Arnold School of Public Health, the first thing that I was able to do is, is to go and, and view that corridor of shame, you know, the uh, Highway 95, and to really study rural health. And when we think about rural health in the state of South Carolina, um, you have a lot of maternal deserts. You have health deserts, but you're having more maternal health deserts mm-hmm. pop up across the country, mm-hmm. definitely in the state of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And what that means is you can be pregnant in Bamberg County or, and maybe Jasper County, these these very rural communities, and you not have an, an OB within an hour. So, wow. and not wanting to call it one particular county over the other, but um, there are places across our state and across our country where you could have an accident so case in point, um, when I was pregnant with Lauren 12 years ago, I would, my husband and I, we were visiting. There was a first child, of course, excited. We are visiting family in Clarendon County, okay. South Carolina. So, which right, is not me, that far away. Which is not that far away, <laughs> right? So that's where my in-loves live. And um, we were traveling back home to, uh, to where we live in, in the Midlands. And that's when I got this unbelievable pain in my belly. I mean, I literally pulled up in the driveway. And my husband, of course, rushed me to the hospital, uh, you know, did two ultrasounds and her, her heart just stopped. But the first thing my mother in love said was, thank God she made it back to Richland County. So mm. that, that was that thought, um, that statement, I, I can't shake that. I, I remember that so well. And I'm, I'm so passionate about bringing light to something that people deal with all the time. And the fact that my mother-in-law said, thank God you made it out of a rural area, South Carolina, and back to Richland County, where you have close access to really high quality care. Because again, my blood pressure was 200 over 100. I could have had a stroke at 29 years old. So um, they, and they saved my life, right? So it's it's a reality that people make life and death decisions all the time in rural communities. You decide, oh, I can work through that pain or that's not an issue because you may have to decide to drive an hour, right? Mm-hmm. To um, to an area that can really care for you. So, um, and, and those are big complex problems, right? And sure. we're finding our piece of how to, how to address it, um, both with, of course, our, our digital platform, but also through our goals of impact of reinvesting and supporting the public health strategies and, and markets where we're, we're serving. So we have vision of, of grander, <laughs> grander impact for sure. Um, Cause I just like, that's what, that's what you should do if you're a social impact um, business. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that background. And there's, like I said, there's so much there and I'm yeah. sort of only half kidding about the, you know, a 46 point <laughs> series, because I mean, I, I think a lot of it is about people just are, are unaware. Yes. That all this information is out there floating around. And unless people think that they have a direct need to know, they're not going to find out. Right, right. Um, But again, back to your point about this affects so many people, Mm -hmm. um, a huge part of the population that, again, mainly goes unseen and unheard from. Um, That's very interesting. Well, take us to where you are now, to Mm -hmm. to where Health Evolve is now. Um, you, you, You started this company. Uh, some time back, and just take us to where you are now in in this journey uh, to to trying to not just raise awareness, but to do something about these issues. Right, right. Well, it, you know, it's it's been exciting. It's been um, 
in some ways a bit of a roller coaster. But I think that's just the world. I mean, you know, I was used to the business Probably of means hospitals. You're doing it right. right. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, you're busy, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good news. That's yeah. good news. You know, uh, we're we're I would say we're in a good place. Okay. Um, I think the biggest thing as an entrepreneur is to cut through the noise and to hold tight on what solution you want to solve. Because there's so many different ways to address the problem that we talked about. Mm -hmm. There really are. And there are people that are brilliant, that have raised and are VC-backed, um, that are solving a, a, a part of the problem from a different vantage point, right? Or, or a different angle. And, and all of that's good because the problem's big enough for us to all be hands on deck with this. Uh, so for me, we're right now in the middle of building and um, of course, finalizing out the actual platform, we've um, had a lot of product validation, which is great. Uh, talking with um, hospital leaders, pharmaceutical leaders, patients, right, women, <laughs> having conversations with the people that would put their hands on the tool and, and use it, be users of it um, over the past several months. So we are uh, building um, with, with, with excitement and yep. with a deadline. <laughs> Well, and so, I know that, yeah, and I know there's competition out there, and, yeah. and uh, you know I don't want you to give away trade secrets or anything, of course. But but can you share a little bit about what you are building? Yes, absolutely. So we're building a platform called Lauren, and it's a patient navigator for women that are at risk or have hypertension that also need to screen for uh, postpartum depression, anxiety and manage type 2 diabetes. So we're looking at these kind of a, a multi-aspect of chronic care needs mm -hmm. for pregnant women, but also going beyond that. Um, and in essence, what we're building is a, a, a patient-driven engagement tool. On one side, there's a user application that the woman can you know, interact with on mm -hmm. their phone. And then on the other side, there's a back-end clinical SaaS platform. What really makes us stand out, I will say, are two two very unique things that I'm not ashamed of sharing and, and shouting because um, we have our own unique formula of doing it. One, um, our team of biobehavioral researchers have, we've developed our own uh, health culture index that measures equity. So this is okay. built into the tool. So we're able to stratify a recommended care plan using AI, um, but also looking at how it links up with health equity. So we're looking at the care a patient needs based on their health equity gaps. And that is unique. Right now, hospitals are trying to figure out how to do that um, because typically the data doesn't talk very well. We're still struggling to even collect social determinants of health, of health which is a baseline recommendation. Mm -hmm. I think that was first put out by the Institute of Medicine 20 years ago. <laughs> um, and we're still trying to figure out how to consistently standardize the collection of social determinants data. So um, we built our own tool. Um, with great researchers, great advisors, even from the University of South Carolina that have helped um, pull that together. Um, so to be able to look at health equity and risk is is very, very unique. Um, the other thing that's really unique about um, what we're building is one of those moments where I woke up at four in the morning and said, I've got it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is where on the patient side, I kept thinking, what will make a, a very tired postpartum woman pick up a phone and engage when they may be sleep deprived and you know yeah. you know all of these 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 matters and I realized that the one thing that women would probably need is is a village and this is a conversation we talk a lot about 
in my, my circles and I've, that's come up over the past decade, I will say, of raising kids is the need for support, um, for, for help. And we are, um, as a part of our user interaction for the patient, we're um, creating a way for them to build their own digital health village. So that's the point where they can connect their insights with their physician, right? So we want that EHR integration. They're able to also pull in a loved one, whether they're in the state, across the country, another part of the world, mm. to see what's happening within their body, especially after they delivered. And then they're able to connect with enterprise uh, digital partners, whether it's a referral, a platform, or a therapy platform. So we're creating this digital village or ecosystem that's centered around the patient. The patient is the center of the universe uh, with the tool versus uh, the other way around, if that makes sense, where they're just a part of the health ecosystem. Now we're, we're creating an ecosystem for the patient. So that's our design model. That's our approach to do it that way. That way we can we can play in multiple sandboxes. We can work directly with the hospitals and payers. We can also work with major global employers that want to get into the space of employer-based health benefits mm -hmm. and um, have a solution for um, for their you know female employees um, like Lauren. So it's we've uh, we were very intentional about that design as well as what value we build into it that will help. Um, meet our impact goals of, of closing the health equity gap. So unique and exciting. And we're um, lining up pilot partners now and getting ready to, to submit our first major NIH grant um, within the next 60 days. So it's exciting. Could you talk a little bit about what, you know, because, um, you know, there may be someone out here listening that could be one of those partners. Mm -hmm. What what does a partner for for this look like? I mean, who who are you looking for in terms of partners to find, to to interact with this with this tool that you've made? Right. Well, one exciting opportunity um, in terms of a partnership would be a virtual, a I would say a national virtual platform or telemedicine on a national scale, because there's some patients and there's some employers that may want. Um, their health consumers to be able to plug into the tool, manage their care, but also connect with direct help that's not necessarily their existing primary care physician, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So it needs to be kind of a um, an all-in-one opportunity. In order for us to do that, it's important that we partner with a, a large digital health um, platform that provides you know, behavioral health support, mental health therapists, primary care, virtual OBGYN support, mm -hmm. so that literally from your pocket, you have access to everything. You know, mm -hmm. you can manage your own care goals with our AI. You can, um, you know, of course, take our health risk assessments, know your category of risk, um, but also based on that and your health equity gaps, um, you can respond to a recommendation of engaging with a therapy platform and, and building out your digital village. So um, if you're in the business of, of uh, providing direct care to patients in a digital platform, you're a great partner for us to talk with. Also just, I mean, this is sort of a random question, but uh -huh. what, what role, you know, when I'm thinking about the, the patients you're describing, let's say someone that, that has um, hypertension that was just brought on by, by pregnancy, I mean, do wearables play a role? Because to your point, if if someone's far away, like literally 40 miles, 50 miles, 60 miles from a healthcare provider, but they need to monitor their blood pressure. Yes. How do they do that in a way that can, I mean, is that where wearables come in? Yes. Or, or, you know? 
So, and that's one of the partners that we're we're talking with now. I won't give too much away, but there's one in particular partner that we that is looking at vascular biometric data um, or vascular biomark biomarkers. So we're getting blood pressure, central blood pressure um, data marks for the patients in real time. Mm -hmm. So. Um, at this time, we're not developing our own uh, wearable device. We're uh, having conversations with, again, two uh, potential wearable device companies and um, companies that have an FDA-cleared device that we can partner with so that um, there's also consistency with capturing the data, right? Because mm -hmm. um, we know that depending on where you go to even get your blood pressure, it could be different than... Um, going to a pharmacy or going to your physician or wearing a certain um, ca calibrated cuff that's not yeah. over two years <laughs> old or so, you know, so there could right. be some variability with it. So, but it does play a huge part. And, and, and I will say one part of our tool is for those that do have a Bluetooth enabled device that captures that data already, they'll be able to integrate with the application as well. So we want to make it as easy to use as possible where they're not manually entering, sure. you know, their blood pressure based on, you know, the risk one they have or a, an Omron cuff at home, um, but they're able to connect automatically. So more of that functionality will definitely um, be revealed um, and released over time with us. Uh, maybe one day we have our own wearable device. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's not out of the, the cars for us. Um, in fact, I already have some some thoughts on what that would look like if we decide to go that route. Um, but um, that that's important, especially if you think about these rural communities, and to be honest, in general. Um, but here's the thing. We don't want to just serve the worried well, right? People that have everything. I mean, I have an Apple Watch on right now. Um, you know, so there's the rings, there's, there's all types of gadgets and toys that people can use to to get a lot of information on their their health. So obviously there, there'll be people interested that are the worried well, but we want to make sure people that just need to understand what's going on in their bodies mm -hmm. have access to um, these tools, um, just like the worried well. That's important yeah. for us. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, term, the worried well, um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's kind of like people talk about the rich get richer, you know, in, in other words, people who are interested in their health probably are healthier. Yes, you're you right. Know, and, and people that want to track those things and, and, and will worry about it, if you will, um, are probably more predisposed, I would guess, to, to take action. Yes, you know, where, right. where action, and I think your whole point is, is that there's a very, very large group of people out there, um, not just in the world, but or elsewhere, but right here at home, right, I mean, here. right here in our state, you know, much less, you know, across the country or in all these other imaginary places um, that literally just don't know. And yet the tools and devices are out there, you know, the access, you know, we're, we're probably, um, I guess is Jasper County, you know, there's no hospital system. And, and I'll say this so you won't have to say it, but yeah. there's no hospital system in America that's going to go to Jasper County, South Carolina and say, hey, let's build a comprehensive clinic to serve the people of Jasper County. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's probably, if South Carolina has 46 counties, there's probably at least a dozen other counties where no existing hospital system is ever going to break ground on a facility in those areas. Yeah. And and the truth is there there's a cost to being able to do that and do it well and it requires manpower. It provide it requires having a clinical team in mm -hmm. those spaces and, and we all know we have a shortage, right? So of of providers. So there and I 
left the space of recruitment and growing medical groups. So believe me, there is a shortage. So um, even in the metropolitan areas, we're fighting over the best and brightest brand new docs to get to our markets. So a lot of times our rural communities really um, struggle to, to attract and draw in um, clinical support. So it's not just even the brick and mortar, it's getting the people, yeah. you know, there to do it that, um, recognize you may not have public down the street, you know, so those, and, and they have families, you know, so basic public health right. challenges, but, you know, there are, also are systems like, of course, Medical University of South Carolina that have, has an, an expansive telemedicine um, platform. Um, so there's, and of course, in the state, we're expanding broadband, you know, I think at least 90% of residents in Richley County have smartphones. That number is, is fairly high as well for rural health, where they have, that's their access point to the internet. So we have the bones in place. Mm -hmm. um, for us, we want to um, be an extension to those uh, digital health platforms and um, um, a resource to those that have the smartphones, which again is the grand majority of, of South Carolinians have a smartphone, and that is their access to the internet regardless of where they live. So how can we play off of what we have today and create an infrastructure to capture insights outside of the clinic? Yeah. Um, right, so it's so there's definitely an opportunity here, but you've got to lay on a strong public health game plan on right. top of our infrastructural plans as well. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah to, to be continued, I yeah. think, on, on that. Um, we can know. talk health econ 101. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, really, it's like, you know, we, we may be the first repeat guest. Um, oh, just nice. To, just to help people understand these things. Because again, I mean, they're they're right under a lot of our noses, but because we don't have a need to understand, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I hate to say it this way, but even in an interest, to understand, yeah, um, you know, health is something that's intensely personal. You're very, very interested in your own health, but I think in terms of thinking about, you know, even economies, you know, yes, healthy people have to be able to participate. If you want to have an economy, you have to have healthy people. I'm glad you said it, and I didn't have to. It, yeah. It's basic. You're concerned about your neighbor. You think about that may be your future ICU nurse, right? That's sure. taking care of you in your last days. I mean, it's. So when you when you kind of think beyond your 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 front door mm -hmm. and realize okay my health is linked to the, the health of the community yeah. it really really it really hits home but yeah. most people don't think that way I mean we you know we studied this right so right. we we get it um, but um, of course those in, in the hospitals but it's it's important to kind of help people have that macro view to understand mm -hmm. how does it impact. You know, and and COVID helped us realize that. Mm -hmm. yeah, simply, oh yeah. A silly I, I, example: Starbucks didn't open till nine o'clock. That's what doesn't help me going into the office, <laughs> going right. into, into the hospital. I mean, we can't get workers right because right. of a, a major global uh, um, issue that mm -hmm. is a genuine issue. So the priority the priority is on your health, not going to work at Starbucks, right? But but those basic things, um, the struggle to, to recruit in nurses in the hospitals during the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, um, and supporting those that were there. So there's COVID, I think, helped to open people's eyes to how the world and how the other people's lives impact just my ba getting my basic needs met. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, COVID is that kind of gift, if you will, that keeps on giving in yeah, terms of, I think, what we're learning. But yeah. I think you're right. I mean, it... it for the U.S., I think yeah, I think I can say this pretty safely that we have to have a jolt that's that hard and that vigorous yeah. to kind of shake us out of this um, 
it's it's a weird mix of apathy and comfort. Yeah, yeah. That we live in. Yeah. You know, as a society. And I know I'm making some big blanket statements and we might get some email on this. Um, but, <laughs> it'll go to you, right? <laughs> yeah, it'll go to me at john at I don't care.com. Um, but it's 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 this mix of of apathy and comfort. Yeah. You know, yeah. is what what I see, at least in the world that I sort of live in and kind of navigate in. Um, is is, you know, kind of understanding, like you said, thinking a little more broadly mm-hmm. um than, you know your own home, your own business, even even your own kind of circle and network is that there's a lot more going on out there. Um, so let's let's talk a little more specifically. I know you and I had a had a conversation before this mm-hmm. a, as we do with all of our guests to really get into background and, and just to um, be able just to have a great conversation. But you mentioned earlier about you're you're applying for an NIH grant. Mm-hmm. And I remember you told me that in our previous conversation. And I asked you, hey, is that a make or break financial thing yeah. for your company? And I'll admit that I was expecting you to say that it was. Hmm. Bias, me just trying to jump ahead <laughs> and guess. It's just part of the process. But you said something that surprised me. You mm-hmm. said, you know what? It's not. A right. make or break. I know you would love to have that happen. Yes. But you said it was not make or break. Mm-hmm. Why were you able to say that? Right. And I, and I said it quick, didn't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so, I mean, literally, without without skipping a beat, you, right. you, you said that's, it would stink, however. Right, right. And... I said nothing. Nothing is make or break, and and that might be a bold statement, and I might I may get I some it. some calls too yeah. after that. But you know, um, for me, I I think I stated that I didn't leap out here just on my own will. You know, leaving um, a, a comfy role um, and in the corporate setting to because I just knew on my own I could I could do this. Mm-hmm. I really I'm a woman of faith and. Um, believe that this is something that is linked to my purpose. Mm. Um, but I also got a strategy, you know, even during my own personal mm-hmm. prayer time of, of how to create what I really call rivers and streams with the business model. And to be honest, it's something that I, that really mirrors my experience working in, in healthcare for a long time. Remember, I know the business of healthcare um, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. was not a CFO, but, but I you're worked an insider. as an operator. I mean, you've been oh, yeah. inside the machine for a long oh, yeah. time. Oh yeah, I helped grow the machine, mm-hmm. right? So um, I understand that in, in in an entity in a business, because healthcare is a business, you can't put all your eggs in one basket in terms of a revenue model. You have to uh, be comprehensive, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't list one health system that only invests in primary care only as their sole source. Um, and entities that only invest in primary care with no anticipation that it's going to support or um, provide some type of downstream revenue benefit to something else you're working on is you're probably losing money. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the, the concept of, again, rivers and streams just came out of you know meditation and, and prayer time. So I think of two rivers that I have. Of course, I have my tech side, which is Lauren. Mm-hmm. But we also have been building out an infrastructure for our consulting side, our health equity consulting. So we're having great, great conversations with partners to subcontract on governmental contracts um, mm-hmm. with uh, with HHS and other health-based um, organizations that um, have a strong interest in figuring out health equity and measuring health equity, and we happen to build a tool to do that. So I um, actually have a, a, a full strategy session next 
week in, in Hilton Head, I'm going through this with a with a partner. Um, so we're creating these this this health equity as the river, but there's streams that involve subcontractor opportunities, um, other governmental grants, um, also just positioning ourselves in the right rooms, right where the conversations are happening with the players. So whether that's um, in in D.C., whether that's in California, I'll be in California at Google headquarters soon um, in, the, in the next few weeks. So that that helps with positioning because there's not just health systems, but there are a lot of global players that have an interest in yeah. addressing health equity. So something you said yeah. uh, about getting in the right rooms. I think yeah. there are a lot of people that will be listening to this that understand what you're saying. Yeah. Agree with what you're saying. But how do you get in there? But they're stuck on one word. How? Right. With a question mark. You know, right. How? Um, how did you position yourself yeah. to get help give them some inside information and let them kind of look on your playbook like how do you get in yeah. those rooms you know it's so funny i've been asked this several times and i, I take it for granted to be honest mm-hmm. i didn't think much about it the, the the simple immediate response is to lead with service that's the first thing lead with service but that was ingrained in me i mean i, I come from a line of, of ministers and teachers and people that just are servant leaders mm-hmm. so i was trained and and serving even at homeless shelters and elementary schools so i i naturally think of, think of how can i serve others so for me i realized that i have two networks i have my hospital medical group career network of friends from volunteering, right, and in these professional associations from my early 20s that I, and, you know, so I have this network beyond even the state, beyond the region, just from serving. And then I have 11 years of advocating in the maternal health space, just serving, with no expectation of anything in return. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things I realized that's happening for me is because I've been pretty consistent just with showing up as Kim, there are some rooms that I'm coming up to where I can see the door from the outside mm-hmm. and I can make a call or or, um, or ask someone, hey, can you recommend me for X, Y, Z or I'm interested in this? Um, and then there are some rooms where I don't see a door, but it opens up because someone's inside already talking about me because they heard, oh, hey, Kim is building this now. You know, I'm, this is exciting. We're watching her on LinkedIn or we're watching her do this. Let me give you access to the room. And so one of those those rooms um, that I was curious about because I saw the room was South Carolina uh, Research Authority, right, SCRA. Mm-hmm. And through um, some great relationships and through a lot of work, <laughs> we were able to become a member company in August. Great. So super excited. Thank you. So and that then they have multiple rooms within that mm-hmm. room, right, um, to to get access to. Um, working with Three Phase SC on our NIH grant, just great, guy, great guys, great mm-hmm. people. Um, and then there's there are rooms that I didn't know there was a room. I just someone opened the door from the inside and said, "Hey, you need to come into this." Mm-hmm. So to me, those are rooms um, like um, invitation only events that are taking place across the country. That someone says, "Hey, um, I know you're working on health equity. Uh, let me put you on the list to receive an invitation." Right to fly to California to talk about equity and and to just be in the room where it's happening, so to speak. If you can't tell my favorite place, uh, you can tell. I'm not trying to advertise them, but you can right, tell right, my favorite place. Right. Um, so uh, you know, and that's just from someone watching and observing and 
and they make the offer and, and invite me in. Um, so it's, it, you know, I'm seeing both of those. But to yeah. me, it's showing up with, you know, good integrity, being excellent in what you do, but also having a a um, a brand, a personal brand of leading with service. I believe that helps you well. And you got to have business acumen and all those things. Mm-hmm. But to me, it, it comes down to the person in terms of, of your ability mm-hmm. to navigate um, but you're not the first person that's asked, how do you get these meetings and these calls? And and I said, you know, I haven't even really asked 99% of my network for anything at this point. And of course, you know, we're a young company, but I haven't really tapped in. It's been maybe four, outside of our advisors, our board, four meaningful conversations that have kind of spiraled into what mm-hmm. I'm doing right now, even down to who's developing my software, all based on relationships. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you said a lot there. I mean, yeah. it, it, one, I hope people hear it's not magic. Yeah. You know, that's it, true. It, it, and, and it's also, and, and this is sort of a, um, it's just a pet peeve of mine uh, where people love to talk about luck. I don't know. I don't, I don't really. And know I'm about lucky, that. Or, or I'm so lucky for this to have happened. And, and I'm going to try to lower my level of uh, sarcasm <laughs> on that. <laughs> Because toes are being stepped on as I continue to, to talk about that. But it's not that. It's not magic. Th- this is work, like you said, that you you were putting in this work before you had the experiences that led to Health Evolve. Yes, yes. And I think that, that's, that that is something that there are so many companies um, and a lot of female-led companies, if we want to really be specific, yeah. that that's the case. And, and mm-hmm. I think that that we are still being told, if you will, within the entrepreneurial community that if you're not young and bright and you've got just this world-changing idea, like that's how it gets done. And there are some of those right, out there. Right. You know, companies that become verbs, right. if you will, um, like Uber right. um, or Google. You know, those are verbs. Right. Um, they're not just companies. That's something you do. Um, there's those. And then there's everybody else, like right. literally everybody else, you know, and, and it is based on, you know, all the experiences that you've had up to this point mm-hmm. um, have led you to, to where you are. And and that is, that was a multi, multi-year process. Yes, yes. And I hope that people are, are connecting some of those dots that, that you're putting out there is to say that if you're not in your 20s, it's okay. Right. If you're not in your 30s, it's okay. Right. If you're not in your 40s, it's okay. Right, right. You've got stuff that you've picked up along the way. And right. part of a big part of what it sounds like your success is, hey, I'm just going to collect these dots and I'm going to start connecting them. Mm-hmm. And it is about character and, in- and integrity. Right. You know, and those are those planks that you're kind of laying down in the road early in your career. Right. You know, right. and you never know really where that's gonna gonna take you. But I'm I'm so glad that you didn't use the word luck no, um, because I, it, it's just no, I, it's I think just never the case. Even if you have, you know, even if you're a person of faith like I am, and you have this idea, which is great, I do still believe that it's how you, how you achieve success is based off of the actions you take mm-hmm. and the actions you have taken mm-hmm. that have positioned you. Yeah. Well, for for success, you've got to. There's some work involved. There, there's a lot of sweat equity, right? Um, leading leading to, into this, and even in the moment today, let's say in ten years we 
we're this global firm that's, you know, even maybe have our own exit. Uh, what's next, right? Mm-hmm. I believe everything you do, everything I do in this journey will help to position me for what my next even looks like down the line. So I, I recognize that it's it's good to be good to everybody. That's what mom says. <laughs> Well, I mean, gosh, I mean, yes, you you can't go go wrong there. And despite mm-hmm. that, that sometimes good doesn't doesn't come your way. Right, you know, to your right. point of of, of understanding how you need to carry yourself. And well, Kim, I'm so glad that you were willing to sit down and, and to tell this story. And yeah. there there were parts of it that were very hard for you to experience, and probably still are. Um, but I love the way that that you've taken that and you've helped to turn that into something that is about helping other people, like you said, just to kind of lead with service. And I think it's important that you brought out that service really is giving. It's not giving to get. Right. You know, you, you right. hear a lot about that. Um, it, it's not transactional. Right. Or right. if it is, it's just a one way transaction. Right. Right. It's, it's all outbound. And, and I think that um, I would agree. I think that is a big part of your success. And. Uh, you know, we certainly hope you have more continued success. And, and I do hope that a lot of people, you know, who are listening to this are learning something, even if they're hearing some of these statistics that you've been giving for the first time, right. that it makes them curious and a little bit interested. Um, to that point, where can people find you online if they want to dig deeper into this or, or contact you? How, how can people find you? Uh, great question. So our company website is healthevolve.co. And um, me personally, I'm on most of the social media platforms. I play a lot on LinkedIn. Uh, so I'm Kim Smith, CEO on LinkedIn. I'd love to get connected uh, with everyone. And also on Instagram and X now. Yeah, <laughs> as Twitter. Uh, that's yeah, right, yeah. Twitter X, uh, uh, Kim Smith, CEO. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, healthevolve.co yes. is the website. Yes. And then uh, LinkedIn, Kim Smith, just look you up there. Uh, as well as the other socials. Well, I hope yep. that people do come out to find you. Yeah. Um, wish you all the best as you as you travel and uh, get into some more of those rooms. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing. Thank you. 